It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. The images of police entering the Camp Nou last Monday reminded us of the disease that had been festering at the club. Fortunately, that particular tumor removed itself some months ago and the police were only there to gather evidence, while the former president, Josep Bartomeu, and three others were arrested. Now, we're close to finding out who the next president of the club will be. Meanwhile, the team went out on the pitch, made a dramatic comeback against Sevilla to get through to the Copa del Rey final, and won three points in La Liga at Osasuna. This is Barca Talk. I'm your host for the rest of the season, Brian Henderson, Joining me today is Alejandro Villegas. And we're going to take a minute to acknowledge the news of arrests and investigation of former club officials. But really, we want to get into these two games, the dramatic extra time comeback against Sevilla and the Copa del Rey, three to nothing to go through to the final and the two nothing win at Osasuna that is keeping Barcelona in the race for La Liga. So Alejandro, I woke up on Monday and checked on the news to see what looked like images of police raiding the Camp Nou. Right. It's, I mean, I had the same experience, but I got uh, a lot of Mariana messages. He's like, look at this, all that's happening. You know, she has like six hours ahead of me, so she's yeah. always getting the news before me. So I always wake up, check my phone, see the news, and, and I, I look at it, and I'm like, no way. He's getting arrested? And, and, and all this story just came out, and... I guess we expected it, but it's every time it happens, you're like, oh, my God, it's happening. It's actually happening. <laughs> so it's been, yeah. I mean, how many months of just crazy news about Barca? And it wasn't the best way to start the week for a team that it's trying to come back from a 2-0 deficit. But I guess some, I, I, I bet a lot of people were happy to see what was going on. <laughs> oh, yeah. I mean, I think there's there's definitely a, a pleasure to be taken from that. And you were mentioning Mariana. That's your co-host on the right. Spanish podcast, Ade yeah. Barça. And she's also Gabriel's co-host on Barça Talk Cafe. So, yeah, she's in Barcelona. And she's getting the news six hours, be- not six hours before you, but it's just she's awake when you're still asleep. Right. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> so this was in connection with uh, possible financial crimes involving former club officials and I3 Ventures, the marketing consulting firm that carried out the smear campaigns on social media targeting Lionel Messi, Gerard Piquet, but also Joan Laporta and Victor Font, presidential uh, candidates. Uh, but the police went to the Camp Nou actually just to gather evidence for this investigation. The club is actually seen as a, a victim or an affected party, mm-hmm. not a perpetrator in this investigation. So that's good news. Yeah, that's important too because it's, it's hard sometimes to separate the board from the actual club. And that's, I guess, for, for people that are not 
really related to Barca or that follow Barca news very often. They probably get confused there. It's not about the club. It's about the board members that, that Brian just mentioned. There's a lot of things still to to that, that we're going to get to know in the future. This is just starting. And that's, that's going to be a saga with a lot of episodes. Just wait for it. <laughs> yeah, and I hope they could just wait until the summer because we'd rather focus on on so, the team yeah. and the players yeah. and tournaments and that sort of thing. So maybe, mm-hmm. yeah, if they could just put this off until summer, that'd be great. But mm-hmm. you know what's funny is that this is two former presidents in a row who have been arrested not long after resigning their positions. Before Bartomeu, Sandro Rossell was arrested and investigated. But in that case, it was... it was purely his own personal sort of uh, tax situation. Um, it had nothing to do with the club. This one is a little bit closer to home. Yeah, and it's not, I mean, for a club as important as Barca, not not, not only in Spain, but like worldwide, it's like a shame, right? Like having two two presidents in a row going to jail is not like, it's not very masculine club like right right <laughs> it, it looks and like less than a club <laughs> less than a club yeah and it really does look like laporta is the favored winner in this new election mm-hmm. um and what bums me out about that is that sandra rosell was on his board at first and even though they had a falling out and eventually rosell replaced laporta and things were really toxic at the end of laporta's um presidency the first time mm-hmm. Yeah, I just find I, I just feel like we keep sort of swimming in the same pool with these presidents. I do wish that we could get someone who has no connection with any of these guys uh, to come in. But, you know, obviously I'm not I don't have a vote in this. And right. the, the the tide seems to be pushing towards Laporta. It's hard because in, in politics and, and we can get out of Barca a little bit. It always when something like this happens so bad, people tend to go the opposite way very hard. Like, OK, we're going to. Go and pick the guy that is ex- exactly the opposite to what's going on right now with Bartomeu. And that guy is Laporta. And he did have success. I mean, he was the guy who brought back the Champions League in those times with Rijkaard, Ronaldinho, Deco, and those great uh, teams that won Europe again. And, you know, nostalgia is always going to be there. So that's... And he he was there when he gave Pep the chance also. So that's very important and he also was kind of lucky that all these great players were coming up. Puyol, Messi, Xavi, Iniesta, Busquets, just to name a few. And he did get a lot of credit for that, even though he lost the, the next election. And that's a, I mean, there's a deep story there. But the thing is, it's normal that this happens. There, people are just trying to go for the exact opposite of what's going on and trying to find a light there. If you will. Yeah. I mean, one thing that Craig, another one of the guys on our team, has pointed out is that at the end of Laporta's first presidency, things were really bad. And that's for him. Like, it was a very toxic relationship between the members and the fans and Laporta. And that's why he got voted out. So, as you said, there is a deeper story there, even though Laporta is associated with a lot of the kind of um, rebirth of Barcelona, sort of the the most recent uh, renaissance of Barcelona. As you mentioned, I won't go into all the names again, obviously, but I will just close this off with a a quote from Ronald Koeman about this situation. He said he's a king of understatement. He said it's not good for the club's image. We can't do anything about it. We just have to focus on football. So that's what we're going to do right now. We're going to focus on on football. Yeah. But I'll just take 20 seconds to remind our listeners that we're always open to accepting your financial support, which we operate through Patreon 
There are benefits to supporting the show, and you can discover those on our Patreon page. We've made it super easy for you to go there by placing a working link to our Patreon page in the show notes for this episode. So open up the show notes right now, click on that link, and see everything that membership has to offer. So let's go back to last Wednesday when Sevilla came to the Camp Nou, and unlike the police, they didn't leave with anything. It was the Copa del Rey semifinal, second leg. Sevilla was winning two goals to none coming into it, so we knew it would be a battle, but Barcelona did pull it out. They got two goals in regular time from Dembele early on and PK in the 94th minute to go into extra time. Then Martin Braithwaite scored the winner just five (laughs) minutes into it. Uh, Sevilla couldn't score, and Barcelona are now going to face Athletic Club for the second time in a cup final this season. Right. It was when when the new the news came up on on Monday. I was like, okay, this is not good for for a remontada, right? But looking at what happened the the Saturday before in La Liga, I I didn't like the the schedule because I was like, okay, so now if we win in, and if we show them how we're gonna beat them, now they're probably gonna be prepared for Wednesday, and it's not gonna be the same. But you know what, Kuman stake. I mean, he stayed with. With the plan, I guess, and and, and it kind of worked, even though it was, it was a little, I don't know, it was frustrating because the, the first goal came early and, and that was very exciting, of course. And I thought, okay, now we're going to just crush Sevilla here. And it didn't quite happen that way. It was, I mean, right. there, there was a lot of, of details, but it was, I think it was, I told Mariana when we were talking about the match before, before it happened, I said, you know what, I think this is the most important game of the season. Because that's the closest we can get to a trophy, in my opinion. I mean, La Liga, it's complicated. We had the derby, uh, the Madrid derby, and, and things are getting interesting in La Liga. But I still feel like it's very complicated there. So just winning a final, especially against Athletic Club. You mentioned it. This is the second final we're going to play against them. We lost one. They scored in the last minute, and that one, that one really hurt. So th- that's going to be a, a great matchup there. Yeah, and looking at this... This Sevilla match again, like Kuman put the same exact formation and players on the field as he did mm-hmm. against Sevilla last Sunday in La Liga, right? Three center backs, a loaded midfield, only two forwards. And that surprised me a little bit for two reasons. One, it blindsided Sevilla the first time in the Sunday match. And that's mm-hmm. part of what contributed to that win. So having lost the element of surprise, it may not have worked quite as well. And mm-hmm. two, it's not the most attack-minded formation or lineup, right? It's great for balance and winning the midfield, but it's not really a setup that's designed for scoring goals, which, of course, is what Barca needed to come back and win this round. Right. So, yes, you, you mentioned something that is very important. It gives the team a lot of balance, and this that's something this team, this particular version, and I think coming back... Even a couple of years with Valverde, it's like this team lost a lot of balance, and that was the key. So for the La Liga match, you just had to win. I mean, it didn't matter the score, so it was fine. And and it was, I mean, I think it was one of the best games the team has had, especially away from Camp Nou, which is it's getting better and better now. Um, Totally opposite of what happened in the first part of the season. And I like that he stayed with it because he, I mean, if you look at it, you needed two things in this Sevilla match. You needed to score two goals, and but you also needed to not allow any goals. And that was the other key part of this. Because if you look at the two matches against Sevilla, I think they, they if they shot five times, it's a lot. I mean, they didn't get any opportunities or, or really clear opportunities. And that's also a great thing about this 
formation, at least against Sevilla, right? It worked that way. And I, I agree with you. I mean, if you look back to the goals, they were actually kind of individual performances. I mean, the golazo by Dembélé is just, I mean, it was just a great kick. And that's it. That There's not a lot about formation there. And yeah. the second goal by <laughs> Piquet, it was just, I mean, it's just a regular cross to, to the box. And all right, let's see what happens. And then Piquet was there and he headed in. I mean, Barca played great, but at the end of the day, they won because they were effective in those two particular plays. That's the reality of it. Because if not, you win the tactical battle. And I think Kuman did against Lopetegui. He did win the tactical battle. But I think at the end of the day, it was just the individual performances that pulled out yeah. this win and, and this remontada. Yeah, well, speaking of individual performances, I mean, yes, Dembele scored that first goal in the 12th minute. That was promising. And it seemed like there would be plenty of time to score the second and third goals in regular time. But it didn't go that way. Ter Stegen had to keep Barca in the game, right? There was the one attack from Luke de Jong that he shut down in the 30th minute, and then there was the penalty. Mingesa gave up in the 72nd minute. I figured it was probably over at that point, but anything is possible when you have Marc-Andre Ter Stegen in goal. He went the right way, and Ocampos did not send his shot very wide or wide enough, and that was a big turnaround moment in the game. Yeah, and... That was the summary of Barca this season, right? Dominating, winning the game, and then giving away a penalty kick, right? Yeah. It's, it's happened. It's happened, I think, two or three times already this season. And it wasn't fair. I mean, we, we all looked at it, and in the 180 minutes of regular time against Sevilla, I think Barca was the best team. But at the end of the day, if Ocampo scores that goal, it's over. And you know what? A crazy stat. That was the first penalty kick that Ocampos missed with Sevilla. He had scored the, the, uh, the previous 10 attempts from the penalty kick um, situation. So I was not very optimistic at that point. I know I, I mean, sure. we have one of the best goalkeepers in the world. That's not in doubt here. But it's a penalty kick anyway. And uh, yeah. besides that uh, particular penalty kick set against the Real Sociedad in the Copa del Rey semifinals, Ter Stegen hasn't really stopped that many penalty kicks this year either. So this was a great moment to do so. <laughs> this yeah. perfect moment. Because I, I feel I, I feel like we all felt this way. Okay, they're going to score. It's over. We, we're going to need three more goals. And we have like what? We had like what? 12 to 15 minutes. Mm, of regulation so it wasn't going to happen in my opinion it was it's going to be too hard and it, it did give you i mean a lot of things had to happen and this one in particular was just perfect i mean yeah it, and, all, it, and they all happened <laughs> they all, <laughs> all happened once i mean going back to it sometimes this season barcelona has just been unlucky that's that's the reality of it. I mean, so many shots getting the post or just getting away or just crazy saves by opposite goalkeepers. And you're like, man, what's going on? It's just not not falling our way. And in this game, it seemed like everything was going our way, like Agolasso. Then a, a great save by Ter Stegen in a penalty kick against a guy that doesn't miss penalty kicks. And then a, a last-minute goal also, which is not... I mean, those three particular items in the same game, it doesn't happen very often. So it did have a little bit of a magical effect. I mean, I'm, I, I don't want to compare it to the 6-1 against PSG, but it did have that feeling of, that, okay, man, it's possible. And it was only two goals, right? It, it, it wasn't that much for Barca, but it was hard, man. This Sevilla is one of the top four teams in Spain. So, I mean, they're having a, a good season as well. 
So, yes, Ter Stegen was just awesome. There's there's a reason that there's a goalkeeper for sure, you know, right. to come up in moments like this. Now, there were four minutes of extra time. And in the final one of those minutes, poor Diego Carlos uh, <laughs> had had probably two of his worst moments of of these of any of the minutes he's played recently. Uh, first, he cleared the ball off the goal line, doing his job, you know, trying to avoid a corner. But the ball fell to Griezmann and then he had to come out and cover Griezmann and, and Griezmann faked him out. Uh, so, mm-hmm. so now Diego Carlos has two bad moments. Essentially he, right. he could have easily just let the ball go out for a corner kick because what does Barcelona do on corner kicks? Yeah. Uh, not much, not much. The, the key there <laughs> is that Diego Carlos is not listening to Barca talk because if he was, yeah. he would have known that we don't score in corner kicks. And it was just, I guess a little bit bad luck for them too, because I mean, I, I agree with you. He just, he, he could have just, you know what? I'm going to kick this out. We're going to get set and let's defend one more corner kick. And that's it. That was going to be the, the one nil win for Barca, but Barca was going to be out of the Copa and then going out. I think, when you're so tired, you're just going out trying to get there, and he jumped <laughs> trying to avoid uh, or to stop Griezmann from crossing the ball. Two great things happened there. The fake by Griezmann and then the good cross because we've been struggling with the good crosses also this year. I mean, we don't score a lot of goals crossing the ball that way. Even though in the Copa del Rey we've, we scored, I, I think, I don't know, this Copa del Rey has been different because we have won, we've had, I mean, we had a, a great comeback against Granada, a great comeback against uh, Rayo Vallecano, and some of those have been with crosses and headers, which is not our game particularly, but it worked, and, and it was great because it was PK also, a guy that, I mean, has been battling with injuries and and really struggling this season to stay on the pitch. And it was a great moment. I, I celebrated that goal. I don't remember the last time I celebrated a goal so much because there is a lot of pressure, you know. It's been yeah. a rough week for Barca, and and we needed that result. So it, it was it was nice. I, and besides that, Sevilla had 10 men because a couple of minutes before that, Fernando, I think, got a, a red card. And that was also important because we knew we were going into extra time with a, an advantage as well. Besides yeah. the besides the, the momentum that we had, we also had a, a guy, an extra guy that we could take advantage of. Yeah, and like we ultimately wound up playing against nine men. They lost uh, they lost another guy in the Luke De Jong went out in the hundred third minute, but I think by that point we'd already gone up one. It was a big turnaround moment, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, PK's goal, of course. And like you said, the the two moments, the beauty of Griezmann's cross and the way that PK connected to get that second goal, that was a huge turnaround for them and I think really gave them the energy to go mm-hmm. into that extra time feeling feeling confident. Now the winning goal was <laughs> also not the kind of goal we normally see Barcelona <laughs> score. Right. right. Braithwaite, he had come in in the 89th minute for Pedri. Uh, Trincao had come on for Dembele in that same change. But a few minutes into the first period of extra time, Jordi fired that cross into the box. And it was the kind of thing that 99 times out of 100, the goalkeeper <laughs> would have grabbed it or it would have just gone out for a goal kick. But Martin Braithwaite made a diving header mm-hmm. and scored the winning goal. He actually came through for once. <laughs> <laughs> Well, it's it's hard. He's not getting a lot of minutes, but yeah, I mean, uh, they interviewed him or both of them, Alba and, and Braithwaite, after the game, and they were talking about how Jordi told Braithwaite, like, okay, I'm gonna cross it to you, so you better be ready there, and it it, it, it worked. I mean, 
sometimes, I mean, we I know we love beautiful soccer and creating awesome opportunities and almost trying to run with the ball into the goal. But sometimes you have to be effective, right? And this particular moment, you had to really kill the Sevilla team because if we would have gone to penalty kicks, we might have, I mean, you never know what's going to happen there. So you, you have to take advantage of these opportunities. And I think that's what they did. And they could have scored more. They, they missed a lot of chances in, in that extra time. But it was I, I feel good for, for Braithwaite because that's a guy that, I mean, he's quiet. He does his job. I mean, he tries. Sometimes, I mean, he doesn't get a lot of minutes. And whenever he starts, he, he, he hasn't been getting all the results he, he wants, I guess, or we want for him to. This is definitely or probably his most important goal they ask him about it and and he he i guess he's chill about everything he's not he doesn't go too hype or or too low or anytime so he just he was just like no my my most important goal is the next one so hopefully he can score and and give barcelona a title that would be a great story for him but i i felt great because he doesn't get a lot of chances and this one he had one and he took advantage of it so that was great Definitely his most important one so far, but I appreciate the sentiment. He's a competitor. Uh, mm-hmm. For him, the next, the most important goal is always going to be the next one. All right, well, let's leave it there. Now, for Osasuna, it was a 2 nothing win for three points in La Liga, but with 120 minutes played before that and PSG coming this week, how did this Osasuna lineup compare to the weekend lineup Kuman chose ahead of PSG the last time? Mm-hmm. Are there any clues as to how the team may be set up? We will get into that and more about the Osasuna match after this. Welcome back. We just finished talking about the Copa del Rey and Barca's comeback to ultimately win against Sevilla and go to the final where they'll go up against Athletic Club in April. Now we're on to the 2 nothing win against Osasuna in La Liga on Saturday. So Kuman is really, you know, taking a liking to this 3-5-2 formation. He made two changes from the Sevilla match, Griezmann for Dembele and Umtiti for PK, but the shape and the tactics remained the same. Right. I think I was surprised. They, I mean, he only subbed two guys from those guys. That some of them play even 120 minutes on Wednesday. So that was that was a little bit of a surprise for me. I, I don't know. I don't, I don't think it's going to be good for the next game. I mean, you saw it even, even during the Osasuna game. We just, we weren't having... A real spark. I mean, we were dominating. Osasuna is, I mean, it's not one of the top five teams in Spain or anything like that. But it was a rough match. It was a rough match. And that's why I thought more young guys would start, especially Ricky Puch or, or Eli X that have, I mean, have, they've had good opportunities and, and good performances lately. Or even Pjanic. I mean, Pjanic hasn't been playing a lot either. So right. this this was one of the, the perfect moments to give those guys minutes you know what okay you're gonna start uh, because you i mean if, if you're gonna believe in this system you need the guys to be sharp and playing wednesday then saturday and then wednesday again with the same guys i don't know if it's gonna work but i, yeah. I, I mean i guess he didn't want to mess up too much with the team because it's working and that was the the key point there yeah you know, we talk a lot about how Jordi Alba ought to shoot more instead of always looking for the square pass into the box. But uh, he came through for us this time. Mm-hmm. Right? Messi's ball through was dead on, but I would have bet anything that Jordi would have tried to play it back into the box. He had almost <laughs> no angle on the goal. Mm-hmm. He was so close to the end line, but he let it rip, and, and he stuck it in the top netting hard. 
and that's actually uh, his fifth goal this season. That's mm-hmm. the same number of goals he scored last season and the one before that combined. Mm-hmm. But it turns out he is shooting more. I looked at the last five years, and until this season, his biggest shooting year was 2018-19. He took 20 shots, scored three goals. This season, he's already taken 22 shots, and he's got those five goals to show for it. So he is shooting more. Should he shoot even more? Yes, I will say yes. The thing is, sometimes, <laughs> or not sometimes, a lot of times, Messi gives Jordi Alba these type of passes, and he's by himself on the left flank of the box, and then he's trying to cross the ball to somebody. And we talked about it, how, how effective these crosses really are, right? Okay, we get to that point, and then we try to cross it. They blocked the, the cross or the shot that's coming up from, from the middle. So... I like that he shot it. I mean, we, we saw that golazo that he scored against Real Sociedad. That was a very, very beautiful shot back then. And in this one, that was, I mean, that was his only shot because nobody was in the box. So he didn't actually have a, too much of an no option options. there. Yeah. Yes. So he had to shoot it. But you know what? I'm happy with it. I mean, you have to finish those type of plays. Finish it. See what happens. Maybe right. you get a corner kick. Maybe you get a corner kick. Or, or maybe you get a... Uh, a goal that's that's awesome so yes i will say alba shoot the ball even more uh, i mean <laughs> nobody's gonna say anything i mean the only one that may complain it's probably gonna be messi and if messi's open we know alba's gonna give the ball to him so yeah yes shoot not, more not to worry yeah yeah <laughs> just go shoot ahead more. and shoot the ball shoot more yeah. yeah yeah now prior to that goal osasuna did have a good chance mm-hmm. to go ahead and again we got to bring up mark andre Stegen, right if he hadn't saved kike barra's shot that was going into the top corner barca would have been on the back foot early mm-hmm. on and this is something that has happened a lot this season for barca right dominating games but then starting losing games which happened really often in the first half of the season i guess we're we're getting used to getting one or two saves from thursday in every game right it's yeah. it's one of the keys of this team i mean we know we know we're not the best version of barca in the late in the last year so we're gonna need a, a guy like ter stegen saving these type of opportunities and in these type of matches when they're not when there are not a lot of chances for either of the teams these type of saves are almost like a goal because they save you from getting back because we knew Osasuna was going to try to defend most most of the game if they score one goal that's going to be awful they're going to be the 10 guys in the box trying to kick the ball away the entire time so yeah. there was definitely a key moment of the game we haven't allowed a goal with this season i mean we haven't noticed but in the th- in the three games both against sevilla and this one against osasuna we won the three games two nil right so the most important thing is not allowing a goal and terstegen was great there yeah and uh, he had to come up again uh, because after we had scored, Osasuna came hard at us after right. that. And it was just a few minutes later after Jordi scored, right? Uh, Ter Stegen had to go to work again, mm-hmm. saving this point-blank shot from Ruben Garcia. He kicked the ball right in Ter Stegen's direction, <laughs> but he went high. So Ter Stegen had to get it with his hands, and he was on his knees. But he came through there as well. Yes, that was a long ball, and I think Mingueza missed it by a little bit, uh, jumping and trying to get to it. And yes, it's important because, you know what, scoring a goal first and then getting scored on is like, oh my God, we just worked 30 minutes to try to get ahead and they just scored back. So yes, those are key moments. Those are key saves. It was a similar play to where Alba shot the ball, right? Alba's shot was just a little bit more up. So it, yeah. it, it barely, Way more up. <laughs> it barely missed the, the Osasuna's face, the uh, goalkeeper's face. 
But this one was great. Ter Stegen is, is good, really closing angles. And that's something that he's been working on because sometimes he, in my opinion, he stays too much. Like he stays back too much instead of going out and trying to leave the attacking player with less of an angle. And, and this one was just great performance. Yeah, yeah. So at the second half, or for the second half, Kuman went for a tactical change, right? He took mm-hmm. off Umtiti, swapping him for Dembele. So he changed the formation back to 4-3-3. In general, Osasuna were sort of tough to crack, but we did have that goal. But the only real speed we had going forward was Dest. Umtiti was on a yellow card since the 26th minute, too. Mm-hmm. So conditions were kind of perfect for Kuman to try something different get some more speed in the attack, and avoid the risk of a defender getting a red card all in one change. Yeah, and we have to remember, we, I mean, Piquet's out, Araujo's out, so we don't have a lot of options in defense, and losing a guy to a red card would have been <laughs> almost tragic, right? Because you, you yeah. just don't have, I mean, you would have to bring uh, another guy or, or maybe play that Mateus guys that we don't really know. So <laughs> I, I come back to the rotations. I think this could have been avoided having young guys or, or guys that haven't played playing this particular match. But I like the, that Kuman is reacting faster to things not working. That yeah. This didn't happen in the beginning of the season. He would start with one formation and that was it. He might, I mean, I remember him putting, I don't know, the young as a central defender or whatever, but, but he stayed with the, same, with the system. Now he's trying to mix it up a little bit. If it's not working, okay, let's do this. And I would rather not have Dembele coming in because I want him really, really fresh for that PSG match. That's, that was really important. But what I'm trying to say, I would have liked to see, I don't know, Conrad hasn't played or Trincao could have played more minutes, you know, instead of going back to Dembele because I'm going back to it. I mean, you need fresh guys also. I know you're trying to get results, but you also need to give them a breathe. With, with these games coming so often, it's hard to keep the same level and the same or having the same stamina that you would have if you're actually rested for a week or, or so. So, I mean, I like I like this up because we saw that it was not working. I just I think he could have gone a different way. Yeah, well, it did go a slightly different way later on uh, mm-hmm. because. You know, Kuman is the king of late substitutions, almost pointlessly <laughs> late substitutions. Yeah. But this time, he was still only one goal up, and you can get the feeling that maybe he wanted to be two goals up before making these changes. But he was only one goal up, and he decided to make his next changes mm-hmm. at the incredibly reasonable mm-hmm. 68th minute when he took Griezmann off, put Braithwaite on, and uh, to your point, put a, a young guy on, put Elisha on for Busquets. Yeah. And then that dropped Frankie back into Boozy's spot. And now Elisha's going a little bit more forward. So you got a little bit of, of what you wanted in that change. Yes. What worries me is that Griezmann just didn't work this game. And it really showed off. And, and Kuman saw it too. And he took him out. I would like to see more of that from, from Kuman. You know what? Reacting. Oh, yeah, me too. <laughs> reacting you know what you have five subs now it's not like you had three when you were like a little bit more tied up now you have five use them use them yeah he he rarely even uses all five and yeah and then sometimes two of them come in in the 85th minute <laughs> yes exactly. but we did get this bright shiny goal from Elish Modiba in the 83rd minute to open his account with the help of his uncle Messi um, and after the game, Kuman said that Elish is, quote, gaining ground to be a first team player. So it's been looking so good that, you know, like you said, he may even see a few minutes against PSG this Wednesday. Uh, obviously, we don't know. But what we're going to look at next is 
how based on the sequence of lineups leading up to the last PSG match, we're going to consider what this lineup against Osasuna and Sevilla before that suggest about what we should see against PSG this time. Because the last time Barca were about to face PSG, they had the first leg against Sevilla in the Copa del Rey midweek, which they mm-hmm. lost 0-2. to Then they stuck it to Alaves at the weekend, 5-1, before getting their own beat down from PSG the following <laughs> Tuesday. So in the current situation... Mm-hmm. We've played Sevilla midweek, 120 right. minutes though, mm-hmm. won that game, then won this game against Osasuna with a lot of the same guys, and we're repeatedly seeing this new formation. So what can we, what conclusions can we draw? What can we infer about yeah. this upcoming PSG match from the last two lineups? Right. So I think we're sure he's going to go back to the three-five-two. The thing is that we don't have the same options on defense, right? Right now it looks like Piquet's not going to play, so. That gives right. you a little bit of a different option there. I mean, it was, it, I don't know, that line's not going to be looking that great, right? If you have Mingueza, uh, maybe Lenglet and Umtiti would be the three back, the three in the I back. I think that's the only, uh, if Araujo's still out and Piquet's still out, what yeah. other options do you have? You know? So, yes, you, you have, could try throwing Junior in there, but that's not going to work out very well. Yeah, I don't. I you don't, could put Frankie in there, but then you have to come up with a new solution for the midfield. Yeah, right. And I don't think he's going to do that. I think we're going to see the 3 5 2. Probably Umtiti in the middle, uh, Lenglet in the left, and Minguez in the right. Then you have Indes and Alba, the same three guys in, in the middle. You know what? It surprised me a little bit because last time you were mentioning how they, they won playing a great game against Alaves. He did rotate for that game. He didn't do that for this one, though. And this one looked like more of a necessary rotation because you came from 120 minutes and you were playing PSG and you had to actually come back from... Uh, four goals for away goals which is not something easy to do so i think we, we can expect it's going to be the same team griezmann is probably going to be in the bench it's going to be dembele and messi up there it, it's going to have uh, busquets the young and pedri in, in midfield i guess there's there's not a, not a lot of surprises i was i i wanted to see if he want if he was going to be rotating people to see if he's, I mean, because now PSG has seen three games with this system. It's not that it's not going to surprise them either. So no. that's why I wanted to see if Kuma was going to show up something different in, in La Liga. Maybe he surprises us with something totally different from the last games against Sevilla. But I doubt it. The thing is, can we score four goals with this system? I don't know. <laughs> right. <laughs> we'll right. See. Well, they, yeah, they need a lot of goals and to concede no goals or very very few to go forward. And uh, I just don't see this formation, this three-five-two. I don't see how that formation can get that done, regardless of who's in it. Right? Mm-hmm. It's just not a. It's just not a setup that's designed for getting that that right. number of goals. Right? I can see it maintaining possession more, maybe mm-hmm. getting one or two goals, but I can't see it winning all by itself. Right. And 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 that was. I mean, that has been the case. They won two nil the three games that they played with this system. That's that's. Perfect. I mean, it, it wouldn't work for Barca to advance, but uh, how would you feel winning zero two at Paris? I mean, at least they won. What what? When I talked to Gabriel about this uh, second leg of this particular matchup with PSG, I said, you know what? Give the young guys a chance. Why not? Eli X, Blake, the young guys. But now that we're closer to the match, I don't see it happening. I think Kuma <laughs> is going to go back with the with the lineup that he's been using the last couple of games. And that's going to be it. He's going to ride or die with these guys. That's what I'm expecting from this game. 
Yeah, I mean, really, there's it's kind of he's put himself into a no win situation, right? Because yeah. if he plays the same guys he's been playing, we're going to look at that and we're going to say like, obviously, these guys are exhausted. Right? Yes, they, they played. They probably are. Yeah, they probably are. They've played a what a two hundred ten minutes, a lot of them in the last week, mm-hmm. and now they're going up against PSG. They're down one to four. Yeah. They're um, and they've got Mbappe, not just Mbappe, but a lot of speed on that team, mm-hmm. and we don't have a response to. But so if he plays all those guys, that's what we're going to say. But if he plays the young guys, we're going to say like, <laughs> well, I mean, they're not very experienced. They've never been in this situation. They're not ready for this moment. He's basically handing them the game. So he's put himself. He's really painted himself into a corner. Basically, right. as, as far as what we're going to think prior to kickoff, right? We'll see what happens as the game proceeds. But, you know, before that whistle blows, no matter what choice he makes as far as formation, as far as lineup, there's no good scenario. Right. Yeah. I mean, it doesn't look like you have a real opt- optimistic option there in that particular match, right? You can win it, right? I mean, why not? I mean, the, the first game was actually kind of even up to the 60th minute. It was 1-1 and then all went crazy. But <laughs> you know what? I feel like they should really focus on La Liga right now. I mean, hmm. I would love to see Barca winning 0-4 and going, okay, this ship is turning around, Barca's back, whatever. But that's not, I don't see it being very realistic. I just want to see the team continue to play good yeah i mean i would as a fan i would i would have the good feeling if they could win the game if not the round yeah and still get knocked out and whether the young guys play against psg or huesca i hope more of them play in one of those and that'll give me a good feeling overall as far as psg is concerned maybe starting you know more securely with more midfield presence with that new lineup mm-hmm. and then shifting in the second half to a more attack minded setup you know that could be a good recipe but like i said all i need for that good feeling is is to win the game not necessarily the round and to see some young guys play either against psg or huesca yeah here's the thing though if you're winning 0-2 after the first half you have to believe you can turn the things around so that's when sure. maybe those changes come out right like okay let's go for it why not yeah because at that point you're so close you have to go for it yes you otherwise you're not a competitive team yeah exactly so it's probably close to i don't know i think Bayern munich last year was also a, a tough shot uh, before the game i don't think a lot of people thought that barca was gonna beat that Bayern munich but I, I had the same feeling. And about, they didn't. And they didn't. They definitely didn't. <laughs> Boy, did they not. <laughs> yes. So, yeah, I'm, I'm not very optimistic about it. Hope, I mean, hopefully they prove me wrong and they're like, I will be the first one guy coming out and say, you know what? I was wrong. This team is better than I thought. If they win the game, I'm happy as a fan. I mean, they did what they could. They're playing better. It was um, just rough 30 minutes in the first leg, and that led up into this. Because remember, we, we were close to the 2-3. If that game would have ended up 2-3, I mean, we would definitely feel a lot different about this second game against PSG. So it was a matter of inches, and that's what sports sometimes is about. Yeah, yeah. And the, and half inches, quarter inches even. <laughs> fractions of inches. <laughs> So Barca's next match after that PSG game, again, will be Huesca in La Liga, but that is not going to be until next Monday. So the only match that we're going to have to talk about will be this Champions League match. And I'll be here with Sergio Rodriguez to go deep into that. Until then, let's hope nobody gets injured and Vizca Barca.
Social Podcast Network. Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.